Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Leslie. Welcome to Quince. A little sweet. A little tart. A little unexpected. Today is Thursday, October the 13th, 2016. And we are deep in October, aren't we? We surely are. How'd that happen? <laughs> yeah, but it's hard to believe that it's almost half the month over already. Quickly. Lots of people in Mother's of Dan. Oh my goodness, already. Yep. And Pancake Days this pancake weekend. Pancake Days is coming up. Mm-hmm. We'll explain Pancake Days. That's true. Apparently, I think it's about the 51st year of Somewhere doing it. Somewhere in there. Most, almost all my life. Mm-hmm. Yes, where it used to be three Sundays in October, now it's two, mm-hmm. and from seven in the morning till seven in the evening, on those two Sundays, they serve, I don't know, it's something on the two days total, about 15,000 people, oh, I don't 7,000 each yeah. day. No, well, I don't know if they get that many or not. I think so. Yeah, it could be. I, I haven't really paid attention. Mm-hmm. Over the last few years, but it's whatever amazing. it is, it's unbelievable, it's unbelievable to think of that many people in our little village. Yeah, and it's all volunteer. Yes, the Ruatan Club and I think the fire department are involved. Right, right, right. and the fundraiser for the both. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people, except for those of us that are tied up in the tourist industry, right, volunteer. You'll see everybody from. The Commonwealth Attorney has been there mm-hmm. of Patrick County a few times. I think the governor has even come in I, year decades past. Yeah, anyway. and, and helped, picked up and carried stuff. Right, you know, and um, the sheriff, the uh, sheriff's department, all kinds of people come. Yeah, it's a very political place to be, which yeah. is a good thing. Yeah, 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 because yeah, they're 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 helping. Instead of hindering. <laughs> right, right. Yes, actually doing something. Yeah, so, um, and they they set up these grill, griddles, I guess. Um, uh-huh, electric griddles. Yeah, electric griddles all across the, um, all, all down a line, and you just walk with your plate, and you pick up either buckwheat pancakes, which is an acquired taste. Yeah, I don't care for buckwheat. I don't love them. Even though it's a very West Virginia thing. Yeah, well, it's a mountain thing here, mm-hmm. too, but... Or, or um, just uh, the regular buttermilk, buttermilk. buttermilk pancakes, and then you can, if you can eat it, which I can't, they have uh, gravy, sausage gravy sausage on pancakes, gravy. white which, sausage gravy. I'll tell you what, that was new to this girl. <laughs> yes, indeed, and I thought that's a little odd, but once you have mm. it. It's really tasty. I usually get them to put just a tiny dab. Oh, because it messes up it, your stomach? It messes me up, so I can't yeah. have it. I and have it on one of mine, and then yeah. I have syrup on the right. other. And then uh, the sausage. It is good. Sausage. Oh, it's the best sausage ever. I know. It I really, they yeah. get it from somewhere special. They, yeah, they used to make it themselves. So I don't know if they're allowed to do that anymore. No, I think they get it from somewhere in North Carolina. Yeah, I think they get it somewhere else, but it's so good. And um, it's just ama- an amazing experience. You'll see, you will have to stand in line. But it moves. Moves, moves well. very fast. Yeah. And you get to see people. You it's get a, to see lots and lots of people. That's the one thing we like about our uh, support team dinners that we talk about, mm-hmm. is seeing everybody. You know, so... Uh, now, working at Nancy's, yeah. we are just nuts that day because yeah. everyone comes up for pancakes and leaves oh, absolutely. and they have to stop at the candy store. Oh, sure. So, they stop at all the stores, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just, but generally, I can usually get away around 6 o'clock and uh, usually from about 6.15 on, it's not much of a line. We order takeout because yeah. we close the store at 5.45. We order pancakes, you know, the takeout yeah. boxes, and there's usually about 10, 11 of us working right. that day, and we sit out on the picnic tables out front right. of the candy store and chow down. Yeah. Well, it is, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's the big thing that's coming up the next two weekends, 16th and the 23rd in Letters of Dan. Yeah. Yeah. And anything else going on with you? Well, let's see. We've been very busy at the Reynolds Homestead. I've been giving quite a few tours. 
I'm getting ready um, on the, tw I guess it's, what dates are it? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 24th, 25th, 26th. Mm -hmm. I'm going with a group. This is through work. Um, we are taking a bus load, our 14-passenger bus load, down to Oak Island, mm. North Carolina, where they will be painting with Jim McIntosh. Oh, lovely. And so I'm driving the van that holds their luggage. <laughs> <laughs> now, is, um, has there been any damage because of the hurricane? I think it, the problem, if we have any problems, it won't be on Oak Island itself. Yeah. It will be getting there. Yeah, they had to, that's the other thing that's happened. It's uh, Hurricane Matthew. Horrible floods in North Carolina. In North Carolina and in uh, kind of unexpected parts of North Carolina, yes. from what I can gather. Well, my brother-in-law is from Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And that whole town has been flooded. All yeah. the stores right up. And they, own, they have known a big building downtown and um, that they rent out. When he was growing up, his father had a, an appliance store yeah. there. And anyway, I I couldn't believe it. I said, Rocky Mount? I, I yeah. never even thought of it as flooding. Yeah, so some, some areas near Raleigh? Yes. If I understood yeah. right. Goldsboro, Lumberton, yeah. Fayetteville. Yep. Not small places. No, no, Fayetteville's like um, military. Right. Um, area. Oh, yeah, they're saying billions of dollars. Yeah. And so. just really sad. So we wish people well and yes. um, hope they get the recovery going mm -hmm. and that y'all don't run into any problems. Yes. Um, we're going to be staying at a really cool historic site. It's the Baptist Assembly, mm. and it's out on this point where there was a Civil War uh, fort. Mm. So I'm really looking yeah, forward to it. I, I don't know that I'll paint or not since yeah. I have zero talent yeah. in that, but um, Jim McIntosh is one of my favorite people. He used yeah. to be a professor at... Uh, Patrick Henry Community uh, College. He I was knew, bio I knew I recognized uh -huh, the name. biology professor mm -hmm. there, and he taught painting oh. at the homestead a lot, oh, and then okay. moved down to Oak Island with okay. his wife. And so, anyway, we uh, have a, a nice group going. That will be an interesting experience. Yeah, yeah. So that a, That's um, okay. after the twenty fourth. 25. Through the 26th. So okay. three days might have to have you check on Clue, Kitty. I will Kitty. definitely check on Clue. Yes. Yeah, no problem at all. Always enjoy that. All right. Anything else going on? Mm. My son just got back from per hiking in Peru, Mocha Mocha, mocha, mocha no, buka. No, I can't say so that. Cool. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That is so cool. Oh, the pictures. What a gorgeous place. That is awesome. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. He works so hard yeah. and seldom takes time off. And if he does, um, you know, it's time with his daughter or his well, old mother. You know? yeah. well, so this yeah. for him. He's got his priorities in order. For sure. And, yes, he does. But he does need to take some time. But for this himself. made my heart sing yes. to see he him so happy in pictures. That is awesome. Ha happy hiking 20 miles. That's you know. cool. That yes, with awesome. uh, looked like a good group of, Great. of friends. Awesome. Yes. All right. So, all right. Yeah, I'll save anything else I had to talk about when we get to. Okay. Well, I guess we can get into a little sweet. Um, is about knitting and I have not been knitting. This is October. You, know? you don't have time to And knit. I don't do a whole lot of knitting. I have been spinning uh, at the shop. I've been, uh, I've got four skeins done of my Angora and um, Merino nice. that I, I've been plying. And I should have brought it because it has turned out it didn't turn out exactly like I expected it to, but it's turned out really pretty. Well, well you can take a picture and yeah, share with our listeners. And, show. and it looks like I'm going to have at least six skeins of it. Nice. Which will be nice. It might be a little bit more. but um, So I'm very happy with that. And then um, I went hunting around for fun things. There are so many fun things for knitters. You have found fun things that even I thought were 
fun. Yeah, there huh. are so many fun things. Well, this is a fun thing for a spinner. Now, this um, for people that are totally not spinners and are just knitters or totally just listen because they like to hear us gab about weird things. Um, wraps per inch. Okay. Is something that we uh, talk about when we're um, making our yarn. And that tells you how thick your yarn is. Mm. So so many wraps per inch. If you have 14 wraps per inch, that makes a fingering weight yarn, which is very thin, that most people use for socks or shawls or whatever. Uh, if you have 12 wraps per inch, it's a sport weight. And then if you go to um, nine, eight or nine wraps per inch, it's a worsted, which is what uh, most people are familiar with, the red heart. You know, is a worsted weight yarn. You're looking at me so blankly. I have no idea what red heart is. <laughs> oh, it's acrylic yarn that, that you still saw at Ben Franklin when you were a uh, kid. okay. You know, and everybody made the afghan sound on Right, right. When we were kids. You know, right. Grandma's afghan that was on the back of the couch yes. was made with red heart yarn. Gotcha, gotcha. It was made from the 50s on. Right, and you see it and you say green and avocado. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, they're pretty bright colors. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so anyway, um, let's, I lost it. That's okay, yeah, we'll get okay. right back there. Um, so I found this wonderful little tool. It's a WPI gauge. So when you're doing, when you're trying to figure out what your wraps per inch is, you take a little... Um, stick or a ruler and you wrap it around until you have enough wraps to meet, to match an inch and then you count the number of wraps and then you know how thick your yarn is. Okay, that's pretty and simple. So you could do that with anything. But she's, uh, this girl, Girl on the Rocks, it's an Etsy shop and she's made a little uh, gauge that looks like an alpaca. It sure does. And cute. it's just as cute as it can be. And uh, she has the little marks on his neck so that you can do, a, they're about an inch apart and they've got a half inch, one and an inch. So she's got two inches worth there. And then, so you wrap it there and then you count them and then she's got the, um, the number of wraps per type of yarn written on the side of the little alpaca. Well, how cute. Isn't that cute? And then he's got a little tail that you could hang him up somewhere. And how much does that cost? It is $12. Well, wasn't that clever of her? Yeah, and that's not bad at all for a um, handmade item. It's it made of like, cherry veneer. Mm-hmm. And somebody has just cut it. Yeah, she's a used a laser pattern. cutter or something. Yeah, yeah. And then she's got she's made a little dark face and an eye, and it's very simple. But and she also has a sheep one, and um, an, an uh, owl knitting needle thing, and all kinds of little things. But um, well, good for her. And she's got lots of uh, 2,419 reviews, which is pretty good for Etsy. There's a lot of people on Etsy. And what's the name of her okay, company? It's Girl on the Rocks. Okay. And uh, I, when I was searching uh, for it, I put in Alpaca Spinners WPI. But Did I'll put a link as well. Okay. Yeah. So that is the one thing. And this is something that's been kind of hot for a long time lately. But I hadn't really talked about it. Have you seen the mermaid tail lap blanket? I have seen that yeah. on, on uh, Facebook. Uh, oh yeah, it is. It is. It is a fun thing. Oh, I could see a little uh, a little child oh, enjoying absolutely. that. Absolutely. The the one I've pulled up here is a child's one uh, that was designed by Angie Hartley. But there are some uh, adult-sized ones. And, uh, no, but, I don't know how I'd feel yeah. about wearing a mermaid tail well, on my know, couch. Well, I don't know, you know. There, there are some <laughs> people, I think. And, oh, um, I'm sure there probably are. Yeah, and it's a $4 pattern uh, made with Red Heart Soft Salads and Heathers and Caron Simply Soft. So the, it's uh, pretty made out of pretty sturdy yarn, so you can throw it in the wash if your kid gets ice cream on it or whatever. <laughs> but it, it is, it's very cute. Yes. It's yeah. Very cute with these young, and she has it up to fourteen to sixteen years, and then she did a ladies' mermaid tail lapgan cocoon blanket. Let me see. Well, I haven't found that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> she also did that. So, so there is a ladies' one. All right. If you're interested. I, now I'll tell you why it would make me 
I wouldn't like having my feet confined. Probably like I being either. in a sleeping bag or something yeah. while I'm sitting in. I get up and down too much. Yeah, I do too. You know, I'm I'm always going to get something to eat. You know? Yeah, yeah, I probably wouldn't like it as much either because if I have to get up and do something with the dogs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, but I you know I've also seen lately and. Um, your house, my house, I could do it if I had the money. Both of my houses, I could do it. You might could. These reading nooks uh-huh. that people have been making yes. with, um, that are built in under stairwells mm-hmm. or are in different, uh, with books all around them. I can yeah. just picture me as a girl. Oh, I think you could do that in your house. I could do it in both houses. Yes. I could do it in either one mm-hmm. because of the way the houses are designed. Uh, but um, it's just the money to do it is the, mm-hmm. the tricky bit. But uh, I could just picture when I was a kid. Oh, yes. How I would have loved to have this and be wrapped up reading. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and two of the children actually do have books that they've got pictures of, mm-hmm. which made, thrilled me no end. Yes. I always love seeing children read anyway. Absolutely. So anyway, that's my knitting part for the time. And um, if anybody ever has any suggestions or questions or anything that I can tell them or whatever, I would be glad to do it. Well, that's good. You always find something interesting. Yeah, well, we want to be a little different. (laughs) All Uh, right, so now we need to do a little target. And it was my turn. It was your turn this time. I was off the hook. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been putting all these books online. And I ran into a collection of old magazines a while back. And got interested in the idea of what they were. Now, some magazines that I have are glossies. They're the the slick, fancy. um, And they're all different types of subjects. There's women's magazines, children's magazines, um, you know, popular mechanics. Right. Um, really what we grew up with. What we really grew up with, yeah. And, um, you know, some of the National Geographics. I got National Geographics. Talk to me about National Geographics. I, oh, trust me. My ex-husband had them back to, like, 1913. Oh, I've got them further back moved, than that. <laughs> we moved those boxes, yeah. like, three or four times. And then I said, I'm not going to move them if you want them. But yeah. then we were moving to Florida. And that's when he realized you don't move yeah. a U-Haul full of National Geographics to yeah. a hot, wet climate. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I probably have some of his. <laughs> but anyway, um, the the interest I got into here uh, with the recent ones is they were called pulp magazines. Uh-huh. And the reason they were called pulp magazines is because they were made with cheap wood pulp paper. Um some of them, the early ones, had just a very plain um, front. Okay. That's what I read. Uh-huh. They didn't yeah. have a picture. Yeah, they didn't have a picture. And um, I did find a website that had some pictures of um, some of the early covers. Uh, he only goes back to the 1900s. Oh, yeah. Okay. But, um, and then fairly soon they started getting some. But some of the early ones, they just had. Very plain. Very plain covers. And um, the um, typical of a pulp magazine was 128 pages, and it was cheap. It was like a penny to a nickel. They started in about 1896 and pretty much got discontinued in the, in the 1950s because of a lot of changes in, um, in the uh, business. Um, they were the natural successors, and I don't know how many people know what a penny dreadful is. Right. Uh, these days. Very um, British, the pity. Yeah, that's more of a British thing. But the dime novels, the Western, mm-hmm. sure. uh, the Bat Masterson, was it Bat Masterson that um, mm-hmm. made up his entire life and it was in all the dime novels? Mm-hmm. And um, short fiction magazines of the 19th century. Then there were a lot of them. Um, the magazines were best known for their lurid, exploited, t- exploitative and sensational subject matter. And the later ones, um, when you look at the pictures, uh, I always call them boobs in space. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because the it's, science fiction, the women. Yeah, yeah. It, it's basically, uh, and a lot of times when you um, actually read the book, hey, there's one there. I don't know if you can see it. Oh yeah. But when you actually read the story, it had nothing to do with the cover art. Of course not. That, that <laughs> yeah, was to there buy was it. Huh? Absolutely nothing to do with the. Uh, but yeah, and this one line. These are in the 1930s. There's two that have men, and all the rest of them are scantily dressed women in peril. Whoa! <laughs> in peril. So you know, and that kind of gotten a little bit you know, kind of went over the way of a lot of things, thank goodness, Yes. in the past. So, um, so it was a fairly big um, format, uh, very cheap, um, maybe 10 cents or um, less most of the time in the early days. And there were all kinds of um, subjects. What yeah. kind of well, I, I knew detective ones. Yeah, yeah, lots of de well. When I when I first when I think of pulp fiction, I think of detective stories and science fiction. Right. Yes. But they they had um, they had women's magazines, they had railroad men magazines, they had uh, one called the Ocean, uh, popular stories, one called Scrapbook. The All Story Magazine. Um, they were uh, just tons and tons of uh, different subjects. And, and a lot of different there. authors. Oh, yeah. I, I was going to get into the authors for sure. Mm -hmm. but, the Westerns were big. Westerns were very big. Mm -hmm. And gangster. Oh, yeah. Fantasy. Yeah, aviation. Yeah. Because that yeah. was all. Yeah. And, and mostly just easy to read. Right, and the early science fiction was basically adventures in space. They took the, um, you know, the story, the western story, uh, or the adventure story, or the gangster story, and they just put it in a setting that was space. Ah. So that's, that was the very earliest science fiction type. And um, John Campbell was the one editor that really turned the... Um, the, uh, the type of stories and, and started getting hard science fiction out of people, getting real stories that were scientifically literate and with better characterization. And I'm, I'm looking at a list of popular pop characters oh that yeah. headlined in their own magazines, and I'm surprised to see Hopalong Cassidy. Yeah. I didn't realize that's where he got his start. Uh, yeah. And a lot of the, well, the Shadow and uh -huh. probably the Green Hornet and all of those early radio people. Mm -hmm. uh, some of those started in the pulp magazines. Dr. Death. And, and some really interesting authors that you wouldn't expect, like F. Scott Fitzgerald. That's how he probably made money. Yeah. Mark Twain. Mark Twain did. Mark oh, Twain wrote I didn't for the Pulps. And that would have been the early Pulps because he died yeah. pretty early in the century. Mm -hmm. And um, Edgar well, Rice Burroughs. Yeah, yeah, well, that's not unexpected. The right. John C. Carter, or the John Carter stories. And um, Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler. Yeah, that's how they were making their. Yeah, Agatha Christie. She did? Oh, uh -huh. I'd love to see some of those. Yeah, a lot of them have been anthologized, so you probably have seen them. Mm. Yeah. More than likely, but there are Joseph Conrad, Stephen Crane. Yep. Wow. Of course, Louis L'Amour, um, Rudyard Kipling. See, yep. I find them very Upton Saint Sinclair. Everybody. See, yeah. this is and this is one thing I think to parallel the internet now. So there, there was a time period where it was really hard to sell a short story because there were so few venues. You know, you had, well, Literary Digest. Right. And I don't know how many people know about those, but there, there are small magazines that um, put out by um, universities, and, um, and some are from a guy, used to be in a guy's garage, and <laughs> he would send him a story, and he would publish it, and, you know, 300 people might read it. Right, yes, you know, yes. But, um, but as the Internet has 
in some ways, I think the internet has kind of replaced some of that. Because um, we can read anything. Yeah, and we can publish anything. Mm -hmm. And the pop, uh, there was one editor or one publisher that claimed that they had over three hundred titles that they put out. Three hundred different magazines. Different magazines. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so there were literally thousands of places that you could publish a story. So everybody that wrote probably put a, uh, a um, story in one of the pulps. Oh, Henry. Oh, Henry. Whoa, I'm just, that's amazing. Yep. Yeah. And so I think John D. McDonald. Yeah. So a lot of people, and especially the uh, And they're fiction. almost all men. Uh, yeah. Besides Agatha Christie, there are not very many Well, women. there are more women than uh, in the uh, Ellery Queens that I have, the early ones. Mm -hmm. There are quite a few women writers in them. Okay. Here's Margie Harris, whom I don't know. Yeah. Marjorie Lawrence. And probably the reason they're not on those lists is they weren't very well-known writers. Mm -hmm. But Mary Reinhardt's... Mary, Reinhardt. Mary Reinhardt, she did... Uh, some, some of those early uh, uh -huh. <coughs> Elvery Queen. Okay, and some of these names, they may be women. Uh, oh yeah, that's possible too. Uh -huh. <laughs> they just may be. Yeah, that's very possible too. Yeah. And so, what we think of as a pulp really started with Elvery Queen. Mm -hmm. Right, that we yeah. remember in our, yeah. even and though, let's see, I was born in 1957, which was the year they really declined and pretty right. much. Yeah, because Ellery Queen started in nineteen in nineteen forty one, and they uh, they started with the digest size, right, which is a smaller, thicker uh, magazine, and um, then the pulp format, even though it was printed on cheap paper, it gradually started getting more expensive, and it lost the comp its competitive edge with the slips. Right. And so, really, um, Ellery Queen, um, the science fiction magazines, a few detective magazines, uh, some kind of racy um, uh, gangster-type magazines through the 40s and 50s. And I have some of those that I'll put some pictures of. And I found one. Yes, you found one that uh, we really Can don't you know much about. Can you believe that I didn't think I had a single one? I went walking through my office yesterday... And I looked down, and this was sitting there. Yeah. And I, I think maybe one of my sisters, Ruthie, maybe found it like at a yard sale. Yeah. I, because I cannot imagine what it is doing sitting in my office, <laughs> especially with the title. The name of the magazine is Fate. Fate. <laughs> yeah, and it's a 1950... 1952. Yeah. And um, it's the right size, you yeah, know, it's and it's on that cheap and paper. And it's it has, put out by Clark Publications. Yes. Yes. And it was 35 cents. Yeah. And it has the stories of the strange and the unknown Things like true mystic experiences. Yeah, look at, the, uh, look at the table of contents. I looked at it a while ago. It's wild, isn't yeah, it? It says it's stories, factual accounts of actual happenings. Ex yeah, exactly. It's really like true romance. You're right, and then articles <laughs> on the strange and unknown Nope. Candle grease sermons. Nope. Oh, I've got to read. Actually, I want to read this. You need to read it. See, be I would careful, have been because it might be worth something. Uh huh. And I, <laughs> I, I maybe would have been a sucker for these magazines. Oh, I was totally. I mean, uh huh. I, I have Ellery Queens from when I was a kid. Oh. And I have the very first Isaac Asimov science fiction magazine. Really? Because I was like one of the first subscribers. Because um. Uh, that was just a great mag uh, science fiction magazine on the coming of the saucers. This was a book. The advertisements in this are just phenomenal. There in the front inside cover, it is advertised. Order your copy today. And it, the book is called The Coming of the Saucers. At last, the authentic story of the mysterious sky objects that have shaken the complacency of the world. 
by the two men who know most about them. <laughs> I'm not sure why they do, but Ray Palmer and Kenneth Arnold. Yep. So, yes, yes. And my goodness, it costs $4 if you pre- Yeah. Pre-ordered it. That's pretty expensive for that a book back in 1952. 1952. Yeah. And there's, I love the back cover. In fact, I have got to show this to, uh, maybe we can take a picture for our listeners sure. and show this to Sarah Ray I work with, who is uh -huh. a yoga instructor. And it's called Yogism Frees You From Indecision, Lack of Energy, Aimlessness, Mental tiredness. Ugh. So, yogism, that's how they say it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> teaches you, and it says all these things like dynamic concentration yeah, and right. school of yoga, yeah. and everything seems to be in Evanston, Illinois. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where the publisher was. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, the publisher probably put out this. Probably put out that yeah. particular book. There's one called Ancient Wisdom, yeah. um, but just some fun things oh, that you yeah. could order. Photos of Rudolph Valentino. Wow. <laughs> the Magic of the Mind Psychic Book Club. Yep. I mean, that's pretty well, interesting for 60-some years ago. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they talk about the New Age. Well, this has more New Agey things in it. That's why I said I want to read it. Well, you know, when you're reading uh, some of the early, um, or some of the things written in the 20s and 30s, the drawing room mystery types, right. there's usually somebody that um, is into the new agey stuff. Well, think about, you know, I, I go to Lilydale in upstate New York right, sometimes, yeah. and that was the first spiritualist community in the United States, and that was in the 18. About 1880 yeah. that it opened. Yeah, so it's been around. So it's been around, but still Helen, to see Helen, it. Helena Blavatsky and all of, all all of, of those things. those yeah. people. But yeah. to see it in this cool. magazine from the 50s. It's very cool. Yeah, it's yeah, very, very cool. And I did have some of these more racy uh, books, but I sold them all. They probably sold right away. They sold wild, right away and wildly. Um, pretty good prices. There's one called Snappy. And uh, there's, a, I think that's actually her niece. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, so. <laughs> that's her niece. So how much do they sell for approximately? Well, I, I had them sell from anything from to twenty to ninety nine dollars. Whoa! Depending on what was in them. Now there were a lot of inter, um, interesting. There was a lot of interest in certain writers. Mm -hmm. You know, Dr. Seuss had some really kind of racy. Um, comics in these 20s and 30s magazines Ooh. yeah, and different things so um, so yeah those all sold so I don't have any of them but I do still have a lot of the detective ones well they paid a lot of your electric bills oh yeah they paid a lot of things but art magazines when I run into them I'm just really happy that's what I call them you know art art magazines the, the, the cover art well they have pictures of girls you know, oh. <laughs> but they're not. I mean, they're pictures of girls from the twenties and thirties that were racy then. To me, they're elegant, right? You know, because they have like a girl looking over her, sh her bare shoulder, or, mm -hmm. you know, or maybe you can see a bit of her leg. A little erotica without the yeah, porn side exactly, of it, you know. And mm -hmm. yeah, the, um, uh, and and some of them, the girls. Well, a lot of them were magazines that had jokes in them. And if you look at it, the girls kind of get the upper hand mm -hmm. in the joke. They, they really make more fun of the men. Would you know, there's a lot of postcards out that have that same art oh, and those sure. same types of jokes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's sometimes I look at them, I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah, this, this know, is from, yeah, from like you know, 1920s and 30s. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so anyway, yeah, there was, um, so like I was saying, the collapse of the pulp industry changed publishing because all of these people that you just read all their names they had to find another way to support themselves mm -hmm. so a lot of them switched to novels and to book uh, length anthologies that's oh, been a popular thing and um, 
the big name in science fiction was Astonishing Stories. I'm too young to remember Astonishing. It started in January 1930. And it changed name a whole lot different times. Uh, a whole lot of different times. It was Astonishing Science Fiction, Analog Science Fiction, in fact, and Analog. And these is, were pulp? These were pulp mm -hmm. magazines that were science fiction. Right. And um, I think it's called Analog now. Uh, but the most important editor was John W. Campbell, Jr. And he really shaped the future of science fiction because he took the adventure stories on the alien planets, that which was exactly what people were writing. It was lost in space mm -hmm. or western in space, um, you know, Hopalong Cassidy in space, right. uh, whatever. And he turned and he really encouraged his writers to uh, do scientifically literate stories with better characters. Uh, with with motivation, mm -hmm. you know, why are you here? And some of those early stories, some of them, there's one I read that upset me so much that it was years before I got over it. And can you tell us about that? I can, story? but it's kind of hard. Um, it's about it's about a guy who's driving, who's um, doing doing a freighter. Or he's um, he, he's the only person on it, and he's uh, taking a freighter from one planet to another. A freighter, as a freighter. in he's, like he's, a... It's a it's a spaceship that carries freight. Okay. And he you know, and um, he finds a stowaway. It's a girl. And the is she pretty? Well, the problem is she's very young, and she has stowed away. She wants to go. Her, from the planet she was on, her brother is working on the planet where he's going. The and I wish I remembered who wrote this book, who wrote the story or anything. But the problem was he has only enough fuel to get his freight from point A to point B, and with no extra. Is and he going to throw her off? The he throws her off the ship. Oh. He did. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he threw her off the ship. He had no other choice. Yeah, right. He well, that was what this, that's how the, the freight. He off. couldn't. He couldn't. There was no because they needed it. So this is like the early days of space travel, and they needed it for whatever the freight was so badly on this planet. And and the law was that you could not stow away. They would throw you off. It was a very disturbing story. I bet it. It was a very good, and it was one of these early stories that John W. Campbell had promoted. And I can't remember who the writer was, but I never forgot it. I bet you didn't. <laughs> How old were you when you I was read? probably 12. Mm. You know, because I read absolutely everything I could get my hands on. Exactly. And it was in one of the pulp magazines from, you know, that was probably 10, year, 10 or 20 years older than me. And it was sitting uh, around your grandparents' house? Or? Well, no, it wasn't there. I probably had found it at a yard sale or something, mm. you know, because I just, anything I could find to read, particularly science fiction, it was really hard to find science fiction if mm. you were a fan when I was 12. Mm -hmm. No, it really was. So if I found it at a yard sale or at a library sale, or you know, there were probably four science fiction books I read and reread at the library for years. Yeah. You know. So, so yeah, that one. That's an example. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Isaac Asimov was one of the early pulp writers, and Robert Heinlein, mm -hmm. and Frank Who Herbert. Went on to become the big names. Absolutely, the big names. Arthur Clarke, and um, you know all of those, all of the big guys. Um, Harlan Ellison, who wrote for Star Trek, ah, wrote one of the best um, uh, episodes called "City on the Edge of Forever." Ah, and maybe that had been in a, a pop. Maybe the idea had been. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, that's where he got his start. And under John Campbell, he really did a lot for, uh, to, to really... Uh, Isaac Asimov never liked the word uh, sci-fi. What did he like? SF. If you, uh, if you weren't going to say science fiction, he wanted you to say SF. Oh, he just didn't like the shortening to sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. He, mm. Well, he, he thought sci-fi sounded more like the adventures in space. Mm -hmm. And um, hard science fiction, 
was really what he was into or interested in promoting. Because he wrote hundreds of books on science and right. literature and oh, yeah. just whatever. Oh, yeah. He was a professor <laughs> at and, Cornell or yeah. somewhere, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 You know, he wrote this great series on the Bible and it's just mm -hmm. like all kinds of things. And uh, So he, he liked to be taken seriously. Right. Right. Yeah. That's okay. All right. So um, have we covered it up or covered it? We talked about the uh, large-breasted women carried off by bug-eyed monsters. <laughs> that very often had nothing to do with um, the actual story inside uh, for the cover art, so you buy it. That's I've learned a lot. Thank you, Leslie. Yeah, I um, have really... and I'll put in uh, this. This is a wonderful um, website here. It's called the Pulp Magazines Project. It's an archive of all fiction pulpwood magazines from 1896 to 1946, and it looks like it's an ongoing. But he's got a cover gallery. He's got a digital archive, biographies, books, and essays about it. Um, the magazines uh, so it looks like a really good uh, I didn't have a whole lot of time to go through it but it looks like he actually has some um, digital copies that you can go in and look at some of these neat well it looks like and sounds like that is highly collectible it's a very collectible since thing. you sold yours yeah. did you have a lot of bids and bidding wars oh, yeah well they, mm -hmm. like to say they went up pretty quick yeah yeah, yeah the, the particularly well the racing went well the um the the snappies the ones mm -hmm. with the girls and uh the one called collet well i did we talked about it a little bit and i didn't realize it was a pulp until i got into this the um, the college ones. Oh yes, the college yeah. ones. They were yeah. pulps too. They were pulps too. They mm -hmm. had this the cover. They had the color cover, but they had the the cheap paper, and they were the size. Oh okay. Yeah. Yeah, because we had talked about that a few quince episodes. Quite a few ago. Okay. So uh, so those were the ones that did real well. But they had sports. They had short stories. Um, uh, ranch romances. I wonder if they were. Um, the equivalent of people reading what? I mean, like, I'll bet there's certain people in society that really look down their noses. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Yes. yeah, no doubt. Um, spicy adventures. Kids would hide them under their beds. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wonder stories. I remember wonder stories. Um, yeah, I guess it would be, well, true romance, which I kind of look down on, I'm sorry. Right, right yeah, <laughs> true detectives, yeah, true yeah. confessions. Now, I remember them in the, say, the 60s, 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah I had a friend one time yeah. that read uh, the true confessions or whatever and thought every word was true. Oh, my, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I wrote one. I bet you wrote a good one. And I sent it in, and they paid me 500 bucks, and it was all lies. Oh. Then I showed it to Sally, and she was so mad at me. Ah, <laughs> but you made 500 bucks. I made 500 bucks. I should have kept doing it, but I hated it. It wasn't, it wasn't really any fun. Uh-huh. You know. Oh, I could, I could see where that'd be fun. Yeah. Well, Maybe. Was, well, I had, to, I had to read all these things just to figure out what they were looking for. Exactly. And I didn't enjoy the type. Yeah. story that yeah. much. So. Yeah, but would have been nice getting that check. That was lovely getting that check. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing I've ever, that's the most I've ever made. You know, for I've something made like, you've written. For something I've like 10 or $12 here and there over the right. years. But right. That's the most I ever made. Well, nice. your dog Nightly made money off yeah, his Yeah, Nightly made tons, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that maybe the um, internet is opening uh, a venue for like nightly, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of self-published things. We have several friends that have self-published books, and they're good mm -hmm. books. Mm -hmm. But the competition is so fierce now mm -hmm. in um, the publishing world. Very. Yeah. So I would imagine that this is the best way. I, I, uh, my friend Kim had a friend named Gina who wrote a werewolf book. And she, I think she self-published it. Or no, she did it with a small publisher that was a friend. And it was really good. It was called Ivy, uh, Ivy Co. in the Moon, or Ivy something in the Moon. I'll have to look it up. And um, she got picked up by Penguin. 
I sort of say that sounds familiar. Yeah, Ivy Roe and the Moon or something mm -hmm. like that, and then she did wrote a second one that also was picked up by people. Yes, and uh, it was really quite good. It was interesting construction. The oh. book. Well, uh, it's just nice to know that something like that can be found. That needle yeah. in the haystack. That yeah. diamond in the Absolutely, haystack. Absolutely, you know. And then for so there is there I think there's more opportunities that way with people doing self publishing. And then um and then maybe somebody might notice it. Mm -hmm. But people get yourself an editor. Yes. Nobody can edit their own work. Isn't that the truth? Yep. I am telling you right now. Um, I, when uh, my cousin and I wrote a um, romance together, <laughs> it's her birthday today too. Oh by yeah, the way. I know. Which has we've had time to go see her, and um, we had a blast. It was just time taking up time that I was sitting with my grandpa. I wrote it and she edited it, and then she had suggestions, and it was just so much fun. And I really didn't do anything with it after that. But uh, I she have needed had. Editor. I mentioned that two friends not too long ago that you and RJ had done that yeah. and everyone wanted to read it. I know, I gotta find it. Yes, I think you, if nothing else, locally you'd sell a hundred copies <laughs> yeah. in a day. Well, it needs to be rewritten. <laughs> uh, I did send it to a friend of a friend and he had some really good suggestions about um, what I could do. There was a, one, The main character was very weak. The male, the male characters were really good because I based them on people I knew. <laughs> but the girl was totally somebody I didn't know. And so he gave me some really good suggestions on how to make her more real. And But then Grandpa died and then different things started happening and I just never went back to it. And I, really I understand. Need to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it was fun. It was so much fun to do. Mm -hmm. so, so we'll see. I might dig it out someday. Yeah. Uh, dust it off and put some stuffing in the girl <laughs> and maybe publish it. Who knows? Who knows? Hey, yeah, because I had like about five different stories or five different books, you know, that we were going to do. Yeah. So, and they were all set right around here, but not really. Because right. you need to write what you know. Yeah. All right. So I think we need to. Unexpected. Okay. Okay, and since it was still my, unless you have something. Well, no, you go ahead and talk. Okay. Um, my favorite pulp fiction author was Arthur C. Clarke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, um, the he main wrote Space Odyssey, didn't he? Uh, two thousand one. Yeah. Right. Space Odyssey, which I did not understand was in the slightest. <laughs> Who did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what that was about. But um, I think the main the main stories that I liked that he wrote was um, were the stories that had religion involved. Mm -hmm. And um, Rendezvous with Rama is another one that people. Um, like, and that was another one. I didn't like that one as well, although I understood it a little better. But um, it was kind of like, well, it came, it saw, it left, mm -hmm. and um, then Star Trek stole it. <laughs> <laughs> but he um, was a British science fiction writer, uh, he was an inventor, an undersea for and he hosted a TV series which I do not remember. He lived from 1917 to 2008. And it might have been a British uh, series. I'm not sure. He lived in Sri Lanka. Oh really? I didn't um, know that. Yeah, yeah. He actually he died there. Um, he was knighted in 1998. He lived in Sri Lanka because he was gay. Oh. And when he was coming up, that was a very difficult thing to be. Absolutely, born in nineteen seventeen, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. yeah, and the um, the laws in Sri Lanka were much freer. Really? Yeah, oh. which seemed odd. Um, he started writing for um, 
I think it's pretty much the um, the same people that um, wrote for John C. Clarke. He started writing along about that time period with Isaac Asimov, and, and I think Harlan Ellison was a little younger, but uh, all the all the big guys. And he wrote there. There's like the pivotal story that makes me think about religion in a different way. It's called the Nine Billion Names of God. The Nine Billion Billion Names, names of God. Of God. Uh huh. And it was in an anthology. I can't remember which one, but there's this monastery. Of course, he talks about monasteries a lot. He did the one with the Fountain of Paradise where they did the elevator uh, to the stars or whatever. They had to put it in a certain place and the monastery happened to be in that certain place. Uh, but Nine Billion Names of God, um, there's a monastery that has been discovering all the names of God for centuries. And at the, um, eventually they decide to use a computer. So these two guys go to the monastery, and it's like in Salon or, or somewhere, and set, to set up this computer. And they find out that the monks believe that when they discover all the names of God, the whirlwind. Mm. And so, of course, these two guys don't believe this. And so they're like, you know, on this island with all these monks, they say, no, they're going to get mad at us when... And think our computer is wrong when this doesn't happen because they're like, you know, eight million, eight billion nine hundred ninety-eight thousand seven whatever. They're seeing the last names come up, so they head down to the dock. They're leaving <laughs> because they're afraid the monks are going to blame them. And they get to the dock. They get on the ship. They look up, and the stars are going out. Oh wow! That is a, such a cool story to me. That is cool. Yeah. Uh, and you know why I can't quite describe but I think that's very interesting and he tackled religion a lot of different ways in these stories well it exposed you to mysticism at an yeah, early yeah, age there was, and, and it was very different from a lot of the other hard, it was hard science fiction in a way because he did have the mechanical the rendezvous with Rama the, um, the mechanical things going on the elevator to the space uh-huh. the computers the early computers, early yeah on. early computer uh, he had all of this going on but he always had this little mystic thing happening he was exploring as he was exploring inner space and outer space mm-hmm. which was fascinating to me and remember i was 12 when i found out all this stuff. oh yeah <laughs> so that shaped you leslie that made you a lot different, probably, than probably a so. lot yeah, of your yeah, fellow. I might have been better um, off. Um, oh, not at all. That's, that's what makes you unique and wonderfully you. Yeah. Oh, this is interesting. Just hours before Clark's death, a massive gamma ray burst reached Earth, known as GRB080319b. The burst set a new record as the farthest object that could be seen from the Earth with the naked eye. It occurred about 7.5 billion years ago, roughly equivalent to half the time since the Big Bang, taking the light that long to reach Earth. It was suggested by Larry Sessions, a science writer for Sky and Telescope, that the verse be named the Clark Event. An American atheist magazine wrote of the idea, it would be a fitting tribute to a man who contributed so much and helped lift our eyes and our minds to a cosmos once thought to be the province only of gods. Well, I would say since it happened right before he died. Just hours before. Hours before to me, that's more proof of God absolutely. than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, and, and there was there was nothing in Clark's writing that said there is no God. Right. You know, that he was exploring the idea. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, in nine million names of God, the stars are, the stars are going out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, and I have some quotes. All right, let's hear them. Yeah. 
any path to knowledge is a path to God or reality, whichever word one prefers to use. I like that one. I like that. You might not like this one. Okay. <laughs> I want to see why you think I would oh, I like know. it. One of the great tragedies of mankind is that morality has been hijacked by religion. I've heard that before. You've heard that before. I have yeah. heard that before. <laughs> that morality, oh no, I agree 100% yeah, yeah. actually because, yeah, oh my goodness, morality has been, um, I don't even want to say what I'm thinking, yeah. by religion. <laughs> yes, the moral majority, my goodness. Yeah. Sorry folks, but yeah. yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> a, a lot of harm has been done in the name of religion. There you go. And I don't think the people that founded the religions would approve. That's right. Okay. And then this sort of ties in with this gamma ray burst. I sometimes think that the universe is a machine designed for the perpetual astonishment of astronomers. Ooh. <laughs> and the last work, that, and I haven't read this, I need to do it. Um, the last work he um, ever published was called The Last Theorem that he wrote with Frederick Pohl. Is it a novel? Yeah, it's, it's a science fiction uh, book, I think. Yeah. Um, let's see, 1950. He, and he predicted some things. Like what? Yeah. Um, the um, computers and bioengineering, telecommunication satellites, um, Although they were serviced by astronaut in spacesuits that were replacing tubes that burned down. That's all right. He still had <laughs> he the did. vision. Yeah. Um, he did a series of magazine essays that became Profiles of the Future um, in 1962. Uh, he kind of um, predicted the internet. Because he said there was there would be a global library in two, by two thousand five. Wow, he was right. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, it's kind of interesting. Global satellite TV broadcasts that would cross natural boundaries indiscriminately, and would bring hundreds of channels available anywhere in the world. That was in 1959. Oh my goodness! Yeah, a personal transceiver so small and compact that every man would carry one. Ah, cell phone. Cell phone. Uh, the time will come when we'll be able to call a person anywhere on Earth merely by dialing a number. Such a device would also include means for global positioning, so that no one ever would never need to be lost. Yeah, he predicted GPS in 1959. <laughs> Amazing. Except he said dial. Yeah, that's the thing he got it's, it's wrong. Pretty. But you know, I think I think some people are just tuned in mm -hmm. to stuff, and um, well, and it may be that his words and people who read exactly. it became the people who discovered and Absolutely. then yeah. said the this can be happens. done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He, he was, yeah. He put the idea out in the air. Out in the air, or he, you know, or 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 the idea was out there, and he grabbed it, and then mm -hmm. other people grabbed it later. With mm -hmm. the, you know, because in 1959, there's no way to make a cell phone. No, you no. know. Yeah, but later there was, and um, he was also an undersea explorer. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty interesting. So being is, at Sri Lanka or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's probably one to. of the reasons he set, set up there. Um, they also uh, uncovered a temple that looked, um, sounds like it was um, like Indian. Um, a Koneswaran uh, temple, including carved columns with flower insignias and stones in the form of Elephant heads on the shallow seabed. Oh my! Um, like Atlantis somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and then um, they found um, all sorts of different things, wrecks, and then finally he developed polio and had to quit. Oh, I didn't know he had polio. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you. You have taught me a lot about pop fiction and Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah. And 
yarn with, and this has been a very informative time. Yeah, so I think we need to wrap it up. Excellent. Okay, our show notes uh, can be found at www.quincepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook as Quince Podcast. We're on iTunes under um, Quince Podcast or Leslie Sheeler or Beth Almond Ford. And that's going to come up with something, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye.